coming up on Chopper's Politics. Boris is a spectacular rebound merchant, but I'm afraid I think we've gone beyond that. I wouldn't have said that yesterday if I didn't think that. Another bad week in the office for Boris Johnson. So I'll remind him of a quotation altogether too familiar to him of Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. I'm Christopher Hope, The Telegraph's associate editor, and this is Chopper's Politics. Now, last week, listeners, we were wondering whether Boris Johnson might weather the storm of Partygate. But instead, this week has proved that he's still in very choppy waters. More Conservative MPs have put in letters of no confidence in his leadership, including many from the 2019 intake. And one Tory MP, Christian Wakeford, the MP for Bury South, announced to some surprise in the House of Commons this week that he is defecting to the Labour Party. But the moment that really knocked the wind out of Boris Johnson's sails at Prime Minister's questions on Wednesday were the words from extinct backbencher David Davis, which you heard at the beginning of this episode. So naturally, I had to ask David Davis to join us at the Red Lion Pub to explain himself. David Davis, why did you say that? Well, as I said, I've been defending him for months and hoping he would find a way through all of this. And indeed, I wrote in your paper uh, only about 10 days ago, you know, this is what you need to do, Boris. You need to reset your organisation, you need to reset your philosophy. You know, tell people we're not labour light, all that sort of stuff. And I was hoping and hoping and hoping, and I kept saying, right, OK, we're going to get the Sue Gray and so on. And then yesterday morning, it was as late as that, I was, my morning routine is I, <laughs> I get, on my, get on my exercise bike, do five kilometres. On your peloton. Get, get on my, no, not a peloton, it's much cheaper than that. <laughs> <laughs> get, on my, get on my rowing machine, do two kilometres. And, and normally I watch or listen to, because I, I get in late at night, I, I, I listen to the news from the night before and uh, or some of the news from the day before and i heard his interview and it was a terrible interview for a start but in it i mean i mean one of the, the sort of symbolic quote but it reflected throughout was when he was asked why he, he said nobody told me you know and i thought you know I'm that was not, that 15 minute sky interview where he looked really right. crestfallen and sad and yeah. it was that and that was i didn't but i wasn't bothered about that but it you know I'm not sanctimonious. People, people are fallible, and you know, we, I voted for Boris. I know he's fallible, but you know, you don't say it's somebody else's fault. That's, that's the one thing you don't do in in all of this. And I thought, well, if that carries on through Sue Gray, it's 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 just not it's just not going to fly. I also have worried that the Tory Party is often reputed to be a fierce, ruthless killing machine with its, <laughs> with its failing leaders. No, it isn't. I mean, John Major the whole way through, and then we got massacred in the election. And Theresa May, I mean, frankly, was finished the day I resigned, but took two years and a failed confidence vote and all sorts of things along the way. And, you know, I thought, God, this is going to go till Christmas. Now, the consequences for both the country and the party will be awful. Look, we've got a Ukraine crisis going on at the moment. Well, where's, you know, where's, where's the bandwidth to deal with that? You know, what if we have a Taiwanese crisis? What, you know, what, about, the, what about the fuel crisis? You know, all these other things. So, you know, our, our loyalties, I mean, most people's loyalties, number one, family, number two, country, number three, constituency, number four, party, and then number five, leader. That, that, that's the batting. And what about friends in that list? Because you've known him for 30 years. He's an 
honourable friend, but he's also your friend. He's a friend, and and he, and I've known, actually, I've known him, I've known him since he was a journalist. When we, I, when I was a Europe minister, he was a Europe journalist, you know, and he was very funny. He was the, the best one, and <laughs> um, uh, and you know, and I, and I supported him for the leadership, and I supported him for the previous one when he didn't run. You made the fight, the infamous, the launch that was a non-launch, you know, um, all of that, and you know, and I did all of that knowing Boris is a fallible human being uh, we all are but you know boris's vices if, if you if you like are more visible than, than most he doesn't hide anything so so i knew all of that so so it's painful from that point of view yet at the end of the day you know i didn't think it was doing him any favors frankly for it to drag on i mean a, a death of a thousand cuts that would, that would damage the country damage the party but also damage his long-term reputation the point in the statement i know it's a statement more than a question truth be truth be told in it. And when I said, you know, you've delivered Brexit, you know, you brought us out the pandemic. Now there are mistakes in each of those things, but they're nevertheless the headline successes. He'll be remembered for those. If he went honourably, you know, on his own terms uh, now, which is what I would like, or in the next week or after Sue Gray, I would like, then that his reputation yes. would grow, not diminish. Why choose a quote about Chamberlain? To the biographer of well, Churchill. Because I mean, he that's deliberately it, needling him, isn't it? Well, <laughs> I can't claim that I spent weeks thinking about this. I spent about an hour thinking about it. But the the, the truth is, of course, he wrote the Churchill. He famously adores Churchill. He wrote a book about Churchill. And I thought, you know, he'll know the quote. You know? <laughs> uh, and there's a, there, in a way, it, was slight, it wasn't needling him. I was being slightly kind because I thought he might come back with a clever counterquote, but he didn't. But the truth is, also, it characterised it because the phrasing is... You have sat there too long for all you've done, uh, for the things you have done. That's recognising there are things he has done, right? But now we're out of time, you know. And the trouble is, as one of his, one of his ministers rather wisely said in the tea room yesterday, you know, politics is about the future, not the past. That will be one of the political moments of the year when, the, when, when all the clips are played back at the end of this year on this podcast and elsewhere. Just briefly, how do you organise it? Because you weren't on the list for speakers yesterday at PMQs. Were you bobbing up and down to get the attention, or did you email the speaker? Did you send him a text saying, do, do, do call me, I've got something to say? Well, I, I saw the speaker at breakfast. I said to him, look, I'm going to bob this afternoon, but I'd be grateful if you could call me. You know, that's, that's no guarantee in that, you know. He's the speaker, and he's, and he's got lots of other, and you don't know what other bids are in, and so on. Uh, and I was, I was just lucky. I was second last. Um, I mean, some may think that's, that gave it more drama because it came right at the end. Well, it seemed, it seemed to pull the oxygen out, out of the room at the time, didn't it? And it looked like... Well, you know, he almost got to the end of PMQs and survived the Wakeford um, crossing the floor. Yeah, well, that, that, I'm afraid that made me furious. I, I, did I, it? I, yeah. Did you think of pulling your statement, given what it did? I did. Yeah, I did. I Funnily enough, I sat down, because I, I, I heard while I was sitting there. I know. I thought, do I not do it? And I thought, no. No, Wakeford's an irrelevance, frankly, to this. Um, everyone will hate him. Frankly, the, the poor man, I don't think he knows what he's let himself in for because he's going to be hated by his own side and he's going to be despised by the other side. I saw some Labour MPs last night and I said, he said, whatever happens, you've got to put your arm around him now because he's going to have, do you been a lonely place and politics is lonely enough? Yeah. Well, I've seen, you know, I've seen, I've seen people cross the floor before. Quentin Davis well, did. 2007 went from Tory to Labour. That's right. And oh, who else was there? Somebody else before. I mean, they were did both. Did it work out for him, did it, Davis? It doesn't work, never works out for them. They're miserable, they're miserable characters. They, they're not in their own tribe. I know. And they're not amongst the friends they grew up with and political friends and the rest and, of That's right. And, and, you know, I mean, I was watching a TV interview with um, Labour spokesman this morning and she was being put through the mill on what Wakeford had said about Labour 
only a year ago, or you know, in, in the last election. You know, and he was being really brutal about them. Now you know, he's got to live with his own words. You know, mm-hmm. now all you know, all, all of us have to eat our own words from time to time. It's a principal diet of politics. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but, the, but the but the truth is that you know, if you fought a fierce election you know, in a northern seat. I promise you, you say yes. a lot of things that they, you'll not be forgiven now, for. Now, no warning to the PM on this. You didn't send him a text. No, I didn't warn anybody. I mean, people said, yeah, oh, that, that came out of the blue. Who did you tell? I said, no, nobody. You know, I mean, look, you know, the, 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 I'm not a plotter. I don't like backdoor plots. You know, my, my, my thing is if I'm going to take somebody on, it's face-to-face. I can, att- I can attest to that as, as we're trying to ask you things like this. You never go there, do you? <laughs> no. And, and, and it's face-to-face. And I thought the only proper way to do this you know, because I'd all, I mean, I texted most of the things I, I said in my article for the Telegraph. I had texted to the Prime Minister in early December, uh, you know, before we got into the worst outcomes, as it were. I said, this is all going to come down the road. You know, you've got fire breaking Christmas, make use, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so, and I thought the only proper way to do this is, is in public, in front of him. In front of the house. You, know? you, did, you didn't <laughs> and, see him afterwards when he left the chamber. No, I didn't. No, I was. I, I say I've been rushing around like a nobody's business uh, on several other things and of course I was also mobbed by the press you know and there's a price to this you know I mean I'm I was going to say I was the, would be the most unpopular person in the party for, for a short while anyway but actually I'm the second most unpopular Wakeford took the, took the ground at that point but but no, I knew that was the case uh, and you people would get angry some, some I don't care about I've had a huge number of very supportive texts and emails from people who I respect Tory MPs Tory MPs. How many Tory MPs have said they? Oh, I don't know, two or three dozen. I can't. I can't remember the exact number now. But you know, you also have a lot of antagonism. I mean, lots of there's lots of spiteful briefing. But you expect that. I mean, you know, I'm afraid you're thick skin, haven't you? The, Brit- the British establishment are pretty vicious when, <laughs> when, when they're under attack. You spent your time and, taking and, on for the past twenty and, years, and you know, you know. Well, you know, I mean, look, I mean, I am known for big parliamentary actions of various sorts. Mm. You know, everything from by-elections to this sort of thing to defeating Blair's government on ninety days. I mean, that that's it's all on Wikipedia, listeners. I, I won't. It's what I do. It's you know. a long. <laughs> it's a long page. I've got to ask you the question, though. You, you said it in, ha- in the House. Have you now put a letter in? To no, I haven't. No, I haven't. Why not? No, because my hope is that... I mean, well, first thing is I'm going to wait for 72 hours after Sue Gray before making a decision, right? My hope would be that if, if Sue Gray is bad and it's an inescapable blame, as it were, then he would resign. I mean, that, for me, is the most honourable way out. That's why I said this. You know, if I was just putting in a letter... I could just, I'm putting a letter and that's that. But no, my, my, my preference would be if that's the case. Uh, I doubt that Sue Gray will exonerate him, but we'll see. You know, we don't know. And how the next uh, weeks and months play out? In the interview with um, Kimberly Tomney in The Telegraph, you said you're worried that um, it might go on till Christmas unless he yes. takes some decisive action. Yes, well, that's right. And, uh, you know, we, we, we have a sequence of... You remember the old, the old thing about known unknowns and unknown unknowns? Well, we've got known crises and unknown crises. We've got the known crises of the cost of living and fuel costs, you know, some of which the blame will land on us because we've, you know, we've caused some of it. We'll have the increase in tax. The people who voted for us in the, in, in the north of England and the Midlands were basically skilled working class people tra- transferred over. And they, were, they, 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 they voted for us because they knew Corbyn would put their tax up. I, I went to 17 of these They seats. worked half that money. I, they worked half for it. And, you know, and I, it was the big issue on the doorstep. So that's coming. The May elections look 
well, coming after that, they'll probably be quite grim. Well, they compare with the Theresa May big wins in 2017, don't All they? All of that. And then, of course, because of the chaos in Downing Street, we will have other crises which mm. we don't see yes. yet. You know, events, dear boy, events. Events, dear boy. And so, and so, uh, and Boris, in a way, has lost his Teflon in all of this. So, so this will hurt. And if this goes on and on and on, you know, the distraction to the government, you know, if at the same time you're having a, a Ukraine crisis, or we've got a, a row with the French over immigration and uh, uh, across the channel, or all these things before Can I'm he bad fix with it? That's cool. Can he fix it? Do you think he needs a, a, a no-confidence vote in order to refine the mojo, refine the reason why he stood twice and succeeded once in being Prime Minister and Tory leader? Well, look, Boris, Boris is a spectacular rebound merchant, but I'm afraid I, I think we've gone beyond that. That's the point. I think we've gone beyond it. I wouldn't have said that yesterday if I didn't think that. I mean... Heaven knows, I've tried in the last few months to encourage, but privately and publicly, the changes they need to do. How can he fix it if you, if you were... I mean, could you go in there? You'd be a, almost a perfect individual to go in there and you wouldn't take any nonsense from um, young spads, would you? you go Look, straight in and tell him what to I, do. I, and... I, just so your readers know or your listeners know, I mean, I, 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 I said no when he, when he sort of cast the line. Not for me a job, but he cast the line. What do you want? David. When was this? Back in... Way back, way back at the beginning. And, and I said, nothing you can offer me, Boris. He needs you now, though. He needs you or Liam Fox or uh, David Frost or... Somebody. It doesn't mean, I, mean, you know, I mean, David Frost's departure, you see, was one of the things that triggered my concerns, you know, because um, the, the things that David Frost said in his departure... Everyone was, agreed uh, with that on the tour. I agree with every bloody word. <laughs> I'm a big supporter of David Frost. I think, the, I think his negotiating tactic is the one we should have used from the beginning. <laughs> well, you were there doing it. And that's what but I wanted you... to do, and I was stopped. Let's not re- rerun Brexit wars. So he has to do something, you know, and I think he has to do something which is more than just one or two people, you know. It, it, will, it will be a reset of the organisation. That means a big reset, not a small one. In number 10 and Parliament, it's both. Well, number, it's 10, no, number 10 is most important, uh, first off, because if that doesn't work, nothing else works. The relationship with Parliament is poor. Now, it's not entirely Boris's fault, because it's been made worse by uh, by coronavirus. And for new MPs, the 19 intake... And they didn't get... They did, they, 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 they've really only had six months' experience as, as, as being proper members of Parliament. So, so, the, so you've got all of that going on. And that means government's less good. You know, I've been minister so many times, I've forgotten how many, but always in controversial departments. And so when I came to the House, I would prepare that. You know, the night before, the whole evening would go in prep on questions or debates or responses or whatever. Uh, and that would be true whether it's a dispatch box or in front of a select committee. If I was c- coming during the coronavirus thing, I would virtually only have to pick up my brief and walk in and read it. The, the cut and thrust is not there. And that makes government worse. The very fact that I had to read the... You know, many a time of an evening, I'd call up the office and say, what the hell is this on page 53? I didn't know we were doing this. <laughs> you know, whatever. Put it right. You know, that, that, would, that would happen as a direct outcome. Of the challenge. Of the challenge. And that challenge is gone, and we, uh, we forget how much that's undermined yeah. the effectiveness of government. What are the odds on Boris Johnson being Prime Minister... At the end of the year, 50-50? No, less than that, I think. What is it, 70-30? Yeah, it's 30%. I mean, you know, one, one outcome which is, in my view, not perfect, but it'd be better than where we are, is if he has, if he has a challenge and if he survives a challenge. So at least it at least cauterizes it, you know. Okay, yeah? next question. DD for leader. Now I'm old enough to remember. 
I'm old enough to remember 2005. Is this a history channel? <laughs> well, I'm getting old with you. I'm going grey talking to you over the, over the decades. But I remember the DD for leader, 2005. Well, a couple of comments there. Number one, Heseltine got it right. He said, he who wields a knife never wears the crown. That's the first thing. So if, if that was what I was going to I wouldn't have done yesterday. Yeah. That was for not sure. saying no, though, are you? Do you want to be Prime Minister? No, 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 no look. The, 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 the hard truth of this is a bloody difficult job. The Queen once said, I don't know why anybody wants to do it. And that, that, she's right. To put the counter-argument to myself, Boris has had one of the hardest tasks of any peacetime prime minister. Now, I think, frankly, the government got a lot of, a lot of that task wrong. They got two bits of it right. They got the vaccine right. That was a Brexit dividend right there, right? And eventually, just before Christmas... They challenged the scientists who had been giving them overly pessimistic numbers for two years. And this was driving our policy. But nevertheless, that's why I said in the question, deliver Brexit. You know, I think we can do better on Brexit still. And you've delivered uh, and you've delivered the, the out of the pandemic. David Davis, I've, we've kept you long enough. Last question for you. How does it feel to say that kind of thing in the House of Commons? He's a guy you've known for 30 years. You resign together over Brexit. You walk in lockstep on so many issues. Yeah. But you had to tell him a truth, didn't you, in Parliament, in the absolute crucible of political theatre. How does it feel doing that? Well, it's always a bit nerve-wracking. And there's a bit of me also that felt hesitant because he was actually having a good day. But the, the truth is, I come back to the priorities I said before, family, country, constituency, party, leader. And your loyalties have got to be that way around. And you can't do this job if you let your friendships, and God, I have hundreds of friendships now, overall. A lot of people probably won't talk to me for a few days, not my friends. But, but it's hard. There's no doubt about it, it's hard. Politics is hard. You know? The upside is it makes a difference. You know, this all makes a difference. These rows we've been having among, between friends, you know, you know, it's about whether you can sit with your mum when she dies it's about whether you can do your job, you know, whether your kids can go to school every day or the teachers are not there. Now it's about whether you can get your cancer off. So you, you, have, to be, you have to be hard on yourself. Well, David Davis, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics in the Red Lamp Pub. Thank you. A real pleasure. A real pleasure. And we will put links to David Davis's article from The Telegraph a few weeks ago as well as this interview with my colleague Camilla Tomini in the show notes to this episode. And I would love to hear your thoughts on David's actions this week and his words to me there. Do get in touch. Email me, chopperspolitics at telegraph.co.uk or tweet me, we're at chopperspodcast. Now, this second wave of trouble for the Prime Minister started with the story breaking in the Telegraph late last week of parties in Number 10 Downing Street on the eve of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral. The details of staff taking a suitcase, yes, a suitcase, to the local co-op to fill with booze, of party-goers breaking Paul Wilf Johnson's swing in the Downing Street garden, are in stark contrast with that powerful image of the Queen sat quietly alone at her husband's funeral in St George's Chapel, Windsor. And the man who broke that story of the Telegraph was our very own Tony Diver. Tony, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on. Now, is your story, which I think triggered the latest crisis for Boris Johnson, tell me about it. 
Well, we found out that the night before Prince Philip's funeral, where there's that memorable photo of the Queen mourning her husband alone, that picture which has really captured the spirit of lockdown for many people in this country, the night before that happened, there were two parties in Downing Street, two leaving dues for members of staff, where people in Downing Street were having a bit of a disco in the basement, by the sounds of it, drinking, staying up late, having a good time. Uh, so that, that's what we wrote in the paper last week. And yeah, like you say, it seems to have kicked off quite a reaction. And Boris Johnson was in checkers at the time. He wasn't there in the, quotes disco, close quotes. Wonder if Sue Gray might adopt your term disco. We'll wait and see till her report comes. When did you first hear about this? Well, we'd been following this story for a while. I mean, we weren't the first people to report that some parties had happened. Um, we knew that there was this garden party on the 20th of May 2020, which Boris has been facing questions over. So we've been talking to you know, sources who know about this stuff for, for some time. It was a few days before we broke the story that we, we got all of that detail. And I think it's really the detail that's difficult. Mm. And how long did you wait before you put it? So was it last, the piece appeared in the Telegraph uh, Friday last week. Did you hear about the party on Thursday or before that? It was, it was earlier that week. And how long did you so, you... so it's very hard. I want to try and explain to listeners how hard it can be to get these stories over the line because people imagine, I often am told by people, oh, I can't tell you anything because you're a journalist. And I think, well, no, actually, because I've got to prove what you say is true. That's bloody hard. Well, exactly, yeah. And the only people who really know exactly what happened at that party were people who were there on the night. And they've got a very good reason not to tell us what was going on because they're incriminated in the whole thing So at well. what point did you know, I can get this in the paper, I've got enough evidence here to know what happened because at the time of course no one knew it was entirely true was it a bit wrong and the following day everyone confessed to the party but at what point did you know you had it in the paper well i think the devil's in the detail downing street confirmed that the events had taken place that there had been two parties but trying to stand up the individual details uh members of staff going to the co-op on the strand to get a suitcase full of wine <laughs> and and the, the basement and the, and breaking the prime minister's son's swing these bits are more difficult to stand up because downing street's never going to give you a statement which confirms exactly what happened they how, how did you feel when you're writing it? Did it feel like a, a moment as a, you know, quite a young journalist at The Telegraph just starting out? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's hugely exciting. I mean, looking at it, you sort of get this sense. There's always a nervousness when it comes out the next day. Is it going to be as big as you hope? Mm. Obviously, you always hope that all the stories you write are going to be massive. But mm. um, I don't think I quite expected it to blow up. The Red, Red Wall MPs or Tory MPs who have been putting in letters to Boris Johnson have been citing the party on the eve of the Queen's funeral as the moment at which they thought this guy, this, this government has lost its moral authority. Yeah, I mean, for the country, obviously, the Queen is important. But I think it has a particular resonance for members of the Conservative Party. You know, monarchy mm. and Queen and country is something that really matters politically to these mm. people. And I think to see what looks like a disrespect of that by Downing Street, it feels pretty significant to those people. The other big news of this week has been Christian Wakeford uh, defecting from the Tories to Labour. Now, you've been told there are more Tories uh, in, the, in the pipeline. Yeah, that's right. I spoke to a Labour MP yesterday who said that they've personally spoken to five other Tory MPs who are considering making the jump. Now, whether or not all of those will choose to do it, particularly after a lot of the abuse that Christian Wakeford got yesterday for doing that, I don't know. But there's certainly people who are considering crossing the aisle and they're, they're feeling pretty disgruntled. There could be a degree of stirring there by Labour MP trying to stir the pot and make uh, Tory MPs feel a bit more insecure, of course. Well, that's right. And you would do that if you were Labour HQ, weren't you? But this isn't, this isn't the leadership talking. This is not Keir Starmer's mm. office. These are grassroots MPs who are out there talking to people. And the reason why that is is because a lot of these Tory MPs, particularly in the northern seats they won in 2019, weren't really expecting to be... MPs at all. They weren't really, the, the, the gains made by the Tories then were unexpected. And I think many of them 
find themselves a bit surprised to be in Parliament as Tory MPs. That's right. And there's a fragile coalition going on with the Conservative Party at the moment between the old guard and the, and the new MPs who actually know other 2019 intake MPs across the aisle better than yeah. they know some of their own colleagues. So Tony Diver, just final question, an easy one. What's in the Sugo report? <laughs> well, I think she'll probably lay out the facts for us, won't she? It'll be nice if we got some more juicy facts. It'll be nice if she called it a disco. I'm not sure she's going to tell us that the Prime Minister should resign. She's not going to tell us necessarily whether or not anyone broke the rules, but she might give us a really clear laying out of the evidence of what exactly happened, and then it'll be for MPs to make up their own minds. What's the, what's the, I mean, the smoking gun which may take out the Prime Minister? Well, the question is, did, did Boris Johnson know? Did he, know, did he agree, did he sanction parties that were taking place in Downing Street or were they all going on under his nose as he turned a blind eye? That's, that is the real question. Well, Tony Diver, I'm sure uh, readers and listeners will be following your Twitter handle, Tony Diver, on Twitter and also your brilliant journalist of The Telegraph. But as the guy who set the running, I think, for the past week on this story, thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Right, do stay with us, listeners. We'll be asking a 2019 Tory MP and one of the PM's oldest advisers whether Boris Johnson should still be at the helm of the party through these turbulent times. Right after this. Hello, I'm Brian Moore, the former England hooker. International rugby is back and so is my podcast, Brian Moore's Full Contact. Every Monday, we get the biggest and best names from the world of rugby to dive into every rook, moor and TMO decision. Get the inside track ahead of the next Six Nations and hear the likes of England coach Eddie Jones and the breakthrough star Freddie Stewart. Search for Brian Moore's Full Contact wherever you're listening to this. Now, last week, I spoke about the importance of Boris Johnson keeping Conservative MPs in those formerly red wall seats on side. But this week, a collection of Tories who entered Parliament at the 2019 general election met to coordinate sending letters of no confidence in the PM to Sir Graham Brady, the chairman of the 1922 committee of Tory MPs. The meeting was labelled, I think by its critics, maybe in the whip's office, the pork pie plot, because one of the MPs allegedly involved in some of the talks about this represents the seat of Melton Mowbray, the home of pork pies. Well, someone not eating a slice of that pie, but who is in the 2019 intake, is Chris Loder, the MP for West Dorset. So I persuaded him to come and join me for a coffee at my usual table at the Red Lion Pub. Chris Loder, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Good to see you, Chris. Great to have you on. Now, last weekend, you read an article of The Telegraph, very widely read, saying that we must restore decency, honour and trust at the heart of our government. Were you surprised by the reaction to that article? Well, it was a mixture of reactions, actually. But I think, broadly speaking, a lot of people really resonated with what I had to say, especially the bit where, you know, so many of us have wanted Boris to succeed. We want him to be a success. We want the Conservative government to deliver on those Conservative priorities. But of course, there have been some difficulties that have gotten in the way. And a lot of people have, I think, compared their own experiences over the last couple of years to what they have seen. And I think that has been a real sore for them. It's been a real matter of angst. And they felt very strongly about it. They've shared those views uh, with us. And... um, 
Yeah, it's been quite interesting to, to see so many um, responses. Uh, and the, the trigger was the article in the Telegraph, wasn't it, about the party in Number 10 by officials and junior staff on the eve of the Duke of Edinburgh's funeral? For my constituents felt very strongly about that, and, and so did I. You know, I was really saddened about that. And I know so many people felt so saddened about it as well, and I absolutely understand that. And the reaction of your local members? I mean, have we, we've heard reports in elsewhere, resignations. Has that happened in West Dorset? Um, there have been certainly a number of local activists who've been very upset about uh, all of this. We've had some people that think actually that they find it difficult to support this um, movement. I mean, I'm, I'm of course actively trying to persuade them otherwise and, and hope I can uh, achieve that. But it has been difficult for, for some, yes. And you said in your article that your mission and your, that of your colleagues was to restore decency and honour and trust to the heart of the government. And that's why... When the Sue Gray report is published, you'll consider the full facts and actions needed. Now, what actions are you thinking about? First of all, I think it's really important to get all the full facts because most of us basically have been presented with insights and whatever from the press. Now, we know, Chris, that you're a very excellent journalist, but there are other... Particularly Telegraph. Exactly right, particularly the Telegraph and the Sunday Telegraph, of course. But I don't think it's appropriate for members of Parliament to come to their conclusions if they want to see clear actions based on snippets from the press. I think we have to have the full facts of the matter. I have great respect for Andrew Bridgen, who um, you spoke to last week. I think he's he's a very diligent and very, very good MP. Um, But I don't agree with him on this point. He's he's put a letter in, hasn't he, uh, of no confidence Uh, about Johnson? I understand so, yeah. But I I think um, before any such things like that should happen, we should really discern the facts. Some of your colleagues haven't waited for that, and there have been reports, and we were reporting the Telegraph as many as 11 of 2019 intake MPs have put letters in about Boris Johnson on Wednesday, and then on Thursday we think that some MPs, maybe not the same ones, have, have pulled letters back. It's a very fluid situation. Why are particularly MPs in your intake putting in letters of no confidence about Boris Johnson? I think there's a number of them who don't necessarily have the experience <coughs> that others have. I think there's a number of them that have very small majorities and then those who feel strongly that moral integrity is important. I think we all feel that, but I think sometimes when you get the thumbscrews turned on, when you get the real pressure from a huge number of um, constituents, local people, local activists and associations, that can be very hard. But equally, there will be those who make those decisions for other reasons, and I don't know what they are. And I'm encouraging colleagues to make sure we've got those facts before any uh, rash decisions are made, because I'm, I'm very clear that we've got to be careful what we wish for. Our number one priority should be no Labour government at all. Mm. Number one priority. In doing so, we need to make sure that what we do in order yeah. to address these issues doesn't make that uh, like we've seen this week your your colleague and maybe your friend of yours christian wakeford trans he's not a friend of mine not a friend of yours right so but he's elected in 2019 he a was, colleague yeah. of yours who has gone across the floor literally across the floor of the house to labor are there any other colleagues of yours you know who are thinking similar thoughts absolutely not so, certainly none that i'm aware of and to be perfectly honest with you i don't think even if there were anyone would know i mean certainly nobody knew christian was intending to do that I think it's very sad that he's done that. I don't think he's a Labour, a core Labour guy, personally. I'm afraid I haven't spoken to him since he's uh, moved 
uh, uh, since he's crossed the floor of the House. So I don't have the insights that some have. Is it what's required is a bit more love for the 2019 intake? I feel a bit sorry for you guys because you were elected MPs in 2019 and then in March the first lockdown happened and since then you you feel a bit isolated, I think, and that's prompted some of this concern. I, I, I certainly think that those of us who were first elected in 2019 have had a pretty rough ride. Most of my colleagues, like me, didn't really have any material role within politics. You know, we're not full-time politicians, well, we haven't been career what was uh, your politicians. I worked for the railways. I left school, I didn't go to university. I started uh, working on the local train station, selling tickets and sweeping platforms. I was a train guard. Believe it or not, I was a member of the RMT once upon a time. <laughs> In my days of political naivety... No one's listening, no one No, of course no one's listening, no. Um, that was a bit of the past. But no, I worked for 20 years for the railways. Um, all those of us in the 2019 intake are similar. We come from those sorts of backgrounds. This has been very new to us. Your question to me just a minute ago was, what actually does the new intake need? Um, I think we could do with a little bit more support, actually. I think there are very detailed processes and I, I, the, the, the whole machine of Parliament, is. we're still learning it. And um, dealing with the ups and downs and so on is, is also, also... And the whips office are quite, you know, they are the whips office. You know, <laughs> the whips office are the whips office. I mean, they um, are pretty, and, pretty and, can be brutal if they, see, if they detect in, dissent. In, and uh, is that not in, working? In um, good question. Um, the whips office, I mean... My whip is um, also a, a South West MP. I get on with him reasonably well. I know some of my colleagues don't enjoy that same um, relationship. You know, we saw, didn't we, over the last sort of, well, uh, the last week, those of us who decided to compare notes to see where things were for mutual support purposes, um, primarily to see actually how do we cope with a vote of no confidence if there was a proposed motion from the opposition next week. How do we deal with that? How can we best make sure that we... Um, Have you heard one's coming? Um, yes, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a rumour going round that uh, Labour and SNP will look to do something next week. And when, when you've got colleagues who are in a, a difficult place where they've got you know, some of the issues and challenges I outlined earlier, the self-support, mutual support mechanism is very important here. And I think that those MPs, when they get together to compare those notes, it's actually a good thing. It's a good thing, yeah. In your view, is Boris Johnson fit to be Prime Minister? I think Boris is fit to be Prime Minister. I think he has done some wonderful things. Do you expect him to lead your party to the next election, Boris Johnson? Mm. That's a good question. I think that's, that's clearly a decision for the Parliamentary Party, and I suspect they will make that decision in the coming weeks. But as I say, we've got to be careful what we wish for. Boris has delivered a vaccination programme like no other. There is no other country, especially in Europe, that is that far advanced that means the restrictions can be released because we have to get back to living life with coronavirus and as normal as best we can. That is the number one priority. So that's why these sorts of things have to be considered. You can't make rash decisions about these sorts of things for colleagues who are really genuinely concerned. I get the concern. But I do think it's probably the whip's office responsibility to do the convincing and offer the supporting arm where that is needed. Just finally, do you think a no-confidence vote in Boris Johnson that he fights and wins could be the wake-up call he needs 
to put his house in order, both in Number 10 Downer Street over the road from here and Parliament. I really hope it doesn't get that far, because what's really got to happen, in my opinion, is that the Downing Street machine is there to support the Prime Minister with delivering his mission and the Conservative Party's mission for this country. It's got to get a bit better. There's no two ways about it. If I'm honest with you, I'm really surprised that Martin Reynolds hasn't offered his resignation, frankly, and I wonder whether or not we'll get to the situation of others. If it is right that Martin sent an email to so many people, I think it was more than 100 people, I have a lot of admiration for Allegra Stratton. I don't know her, but I think she, she made a bit of a slip up. I don't think there's any evidence of her doing anything wrong. I think she did a very honourable thing. She generated much respect for her. I just think, you know, some of those people should really consider um, that and not drag the Prime Minister through some of these things. I think it would probably help him a lot. But I think that machine's got to get better. I think the relationship between the number 10 machine and backbenchers has also got to get a bit better. I'm very pleased and have offered to, to support that in any way I can. And I hope that those offers will be taken up. Well, Chris Loder, MP for West Dorset, elected in 2019. Thank you for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Thank you. Pleasure, Chris. Pleasure. Now, Boris Johnson has been in or around British politics for over three decades. And Lord Marland of Oddstock, a former government minister and party treasurer, has been one of his friends who has been alongside him for most of that time. And he joins me now with some advice for the Prime Minister. Lord Marland, Jonathan Marland, welcome to Chopper's Politics. Great to see you. You've got your coffee. I have. How well do you know Boris Johnson? Well, I, you know, how well do you know anybody? I, I was happy enough to be involved in his first campaign as uh, to be mayor, which we were successful with, and you know, I've kept in touch with him throughout. And you, 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 you campaigned with him when he first became mayor, didn't you, back in the noughties? So you know how he is. You know how the guy, he hasn't changed. No one changes in, in their 40s and 50s. I mean, you can see the, the issues he's got. And I think he has changed. I think he's funnily enough, much more focused, uh, much more disciplined than he was when we first took over the mayoral campaign, which, as you know, was going nowhere. At but the he time. needs help now, doesn't he? Because it looks like he hasn't got the team around him in City Hall. There's a great team of deputy mayors. You were there in the background at the same time. But he seems to have shed all of these friends and supporters and now he's on his own. Well, it is a totally different thing from working in City Hall. It's much more intense. It's far more crisis management. And I think two years in that job is an absolute nightmare. Mm. You know, you've had two of the biggest seismic events the country's ever had and uh, in the end and you work 24 7 mm. it's crisis after crisis and it, in the end it takes its toll well is it terminal for him then do you think i think he can't no, get through this i don't right, really so don't I, th- I really don't think it's terminal i think he's unbelievably charismatic uh, as people often say he reaches parts of the he's a heineken leader uh, well, I, I wasn't going to use that brand name of course <laughs> but he, he he reaches not the bbc you yeah, can say you like it um He's unbelievably positive, and that's what it, it, you know strikes him out from others. But we're not seeing that, are we? So we're seeing him when he's clipped at, at a hospital visit or a school. It looks like he's been found by the cameras. The very nature of his of his interaction with people that we're losing or we have lost. Well, we? inevitably, Christopher, because we've been in lockdown for so long, and you know we he's been dealing with uh, this crisis uh, of lockdown for a long time, and it's bound to take its toll physically. And I think that uh, we need to cut him a bit of slack. Uh, have a drink at the office what's the problem there well uh, that remains to be seen I, I, I think I've known Sue Gray for a long time she's forensic and she 
certainly won't take any hostages. So let's see what she comes up and says. And if rules have been broken and things like that, then obviously it becomes... Obviously, the, the ones on the eve of the funeral look appalling, clearly appalling. Yes. But let's see what, what actually happened. Mm. I, I wasn't there, you weren't there, and I, no. I, I want to see what Sugary happens, and I want to be on there. But actually, there are some massive issues that the country has to contend with uh, coming forward. There's going to be the cost of living issue, energy prices, the post-COVID cost to the nation of furloughing and debt etc that we've all uh, got to contend with and then on an international front which obviously I'm more associated with we have uh, Ukraine and Taiwan which are around the corner these, these are massive are big events massive, coming massive issues and what I can say having spoken to a lot of Americans and Japanese and people like that in the last few weeks you know everyone actually thinks we have done so well with uh, our vaccine program uh, managing the crisis far better, I think, than probably any other countries. When did you last speak to Boris Johnson? I don't tend to speak or, to him. Or text him. We exchange uh, things, obviously, quite regularly. And when you're saying to him the things you're saying to me, that he needs someone to help sort him out, so, you know, maybe it's a new chief of staff, it's, it's maybe you should go back in, Lord Marlon. <laughs> Good idea. Um, I'm sure. Uh, I think that um, I, I don't. It's not my role to t- tell him what he should and shouldn't do. He's perfectly capable of working that out. I think. I'm not needs, sure he is, though. Is he? One needs to give encouragement. Oh, I think uh, he, he's he will come out fighting. You must never underestimate him. He's got uh, great uh, powers of recovery, and I, I think uh, MPs should be careful what they wish for. Because there's no leader like him in the party. Well, firstly. Uh, the, the, he is a outstanding leader. Secondly, I don't think the nation wants the Conservative Party to be tearing itself apart in the next few weeks with all these crises on. And when I hear MPs saying he should go like David Davis, etc., I'm slightly appalled, to be honest. David Davis uh, is on this podcast, of course, and he says that, that there's a 30% chance of Boris Johnson being Prime Minister by the end of the year. Do you agree with him? No. And I don't think there's a chance of David Davis being Prime Minister by the end of this year, either. Do, do, do you think do you think Boris will be leader by the end of this end of this year? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, a lot depends on whether he wants to be. I mean, you've been through a shattering period, and you kind of must be thinking every day, you say this is this is a nightmare. I think Boris has got to come out with uh, several things, and I think your Telegraph article put it very very well. You know, he has got to show that we are a more competitive economy than America and the European Union, which means getting a real onslaught on regulation and uh, a a lower tax regime. He's got to develop the Brexit dividend, which to date he hasn't. And he's got to cut out all this fluffy stuff like animal welfare, sentience bills and, and all these things, which actually, you know, may have interest, but it just takes up a huge amount of parliamentary time when we've really got to get on with the big crisis in the social care, energy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Who, who do you blame for this? These the, the, the fluffy stuff, as you describe it, the, the animal sentience. Is that is that his, his wife, Carrie Johnson? Well, I think it's a classic case of we trying to adopt a European bill for what one for a better word, and gold plating it, making it even more difficult for our farmers, for our fishermen. This rewilding thing is, you know, it's just going to destroy our. Um, Food security, and, and in, in these times, food security is a very important uh, part of uh, the future. How does it feel to you to see your, your old friend Boris Johnson in such trouble? I mean, he's been through scrapes before. This is <laughs> a scrape times 100, isn't it? 
Well, uh, obviously I feel personal sympathy to, towards him. He's quite, as we know, quite used to being in these scrapes, and so some of it is self-inflicted. Um, but he's very good at getting out of them, and, and I just hope he's got the power and the will to do it. Otherwise, I think the country will be in quite a lot of trouble. If he was to stand down, who should be Prime Minister? <laughs> well, apart from you and I, Christopher. <laughs> we could do it. We'll run it for the red line. <laughs> and, and, every, and everyone else who th- in the world who thinks they could be Prime Minister. Well, uh, I think there's a lot of talented people in the Conservative Party. I think they need a bit more time to develop. You know, the thing about Boris is he's done two really good things. He's delivered Brexit and he has delivered a country in very good shape after COVID. And he's not getting any credit for it because it's being not unreasonably um, challenged by um, Partygate or whatever one calls it. And uh, I think it's amazing that a number of people, like particularly Dominic Cummings, should be so disloyal to him uh, because it affects the country and how we emerge as a country from this awful crisis and this awful time people have been through, all been through it, for the last two years. Just finally, Lord Marlon, do you think he'll fight the next election as Tory leader? Uh, Obviously, if he delivers in the next 12, 18 months and wants to and isn't beaten up entirely by the job, uh, uh, but much more importantly, does deliver what the voters want, which is uh, equalising out the country, which is delivering the Brexit dividend, getting through the current standard of living uh, crisis that we're about to emerge and that's happening very quickly. If they can deliver on that, then of course he'll be re-elected because the country will say, thank you very much, you've done a great job. And this mid-term stuff has happened to every government. I mean, Thatcher was 20 points behind in the polls on Westland. Blair was 20 points behind on the polls in Iraq. Boris is only 10 points behind the polls. So if I was Starmer, I wouldn't be sitting on my, you know, thinking, this is great, we've had one traitor, uh, which is marvellous, uh, but um, I wouldn't be thinking, you know, this is... Well, Lord Marlon, an old friend of Boris Johnson there, with some cheering words, maybe, for the Prime Minister this weekend. Thanks for joining us this week on Chopper's Politics. Thank you. Thanks, Christopher. Great to see you. Well, that's all for this week. To keep track of Partygate and pork pie plots... Do sign up to my daily Choppers Politics newsletter, delivered straight into your email inbox every weekday. And the link to sign up to it is in the show notes to this episode. And do please keep an eye out for my Peterborough Diary column on the website every Friday at 7pm and in Saturday's newspaper. Thank you to my guests, David Davis MP, our very own Tony Diver, Chris Loder MP, and of course, Lord Marland of Oddstock. Thank you to my producers, Giles Gear, Louisa Wells and Theodora Leludis. And of course, thank you to you for listening. We wouldn't be able to make this podcast without the brilliant Telegraph subscribers. And so if you aren't one already and you do enjoy this podcast, please go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash chopper and sign up now. Go on, you know you want to. And if you sign up before the end of this month, you'll even get a free Fitbit, whatever that is. And of course, finally, your reminder, if you can, please do buy a copy of the Daily Telegraph. You won't regret it. Until next time, from the Red Lion Pub, cheerio!